0: last week to myself and, and Robert, so you get me today, and uh, then next week, uh, Robert will be sharing the word, and then I'll be back on the 23rd, right? Um, Jack, as Candy said, went to the mainland uh, to be with a sick uncle, and, uh, but it's ended up being so much more than that, right? It seems like the Lord has put all of these other uh, pieces in place, and he's just, he's really out there doing the Lord's work, and it's turned into almost a ministry trip. Uh, so it's, it's it's exciting, and he's doing exactly what he should be doing. So, again, thank you for uh, letting me uh, share. And it's just an absolute honor. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the resurrected Christ today. Uh, we're going to be looking in Acts one at his ascension. So it's just an absolute honor to be able to share uh, with you today. So let's pray, and we'll get right into it. Uh, Lord. Thank you for bringing us here today under your roof. And thank you for reminding us how much you love us, Lord, and that we are safe and that you are our shelter. Lord, help us commit to the, to your word. And we just invite you into this space that you would teach each of us exactly where we're at and that you would apply this word to our hearts, Lord. And uh, we just give you this time. Uh, we praise and worship you in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Um, so as I said, we're going to... Uh, be in Acts 1. Uh, After speaking to Robert uh, over the last week, uh, we thought that looking at the early church would be great, right? Looking at how the apostles started out uh, after Jesus left uh, is some great instruction for us, right? We get some instruction from Jesus, and then we also get to see what the apostles were doing. And it's really good for our church and for ourselves individually, and so for the next three weeks, we'll be looking at just the beginning of Acts. Um, in the beginning of Acts here, you'll see that it says uh, of, the, of my former account, right? And when it refers to this former account, this is uh, the author Luke, referring to the Gospel of Luke, right? And so that's what that former account refers to. Now the entire book of Acts, uh, kind of it, it has three purposes, right? One of them is to show this, like, unstoppable progress of the gospel across the land, both geographically and also ethnically. Um, You also see this uh, great presentation of a history, right? Luke's gifted in his writing and recording of history. And then finally, in the book of Acts, you have these great defenses for Christianity. Um, You got to think about the early church and what they were up against, right? Right? Uh, the, the politics in Rome, Greek thought, paganism, uh, there was a lot going wrong. And the book of Acts has some, it shows us how the early apostles defended uh, the work of Christ in early Christianity. Um, and now, more specifically, in Acts 1, uh, we're going to see this great picture and how uh, the apostles were making godly decisions. Uh, we're going to see how the church relied on the word. Uh, and and how they were um, really like seeking God's will, right? And that's kind of going to be the picture we get as we look into uh, into Acts 1. Now, I just got to thank Luke for writing the book of Acts, right? Because if you think about it, the Gospel of John left off with the resurrected Christ in Jerusalem with his disciples, walking with them and teaching them, right? And then if you go past the book of Acts, you end up in Romans, and now all of a sudden, You're with Paul awaiting his trial in Rome. And uh, we'd be like, how did the gospel get to Rome? Right? And who is Paul? So thank you, Luke, for writing the book of Acts and doing it with such detail, right? And it's going to give us a great picture today um, of some some examples for us. So we'll pray and we'll get right into this. Uh, Lord, thank you for bringing us uh, an example of the apostles, Lord, we ask you to apply that example to our lives. So we just, we give you this word, Lord, I just ask for more of you and less of me, uh, Lord, speak through the word here, and uh, we just thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, in Acts verse 1 through 5, it says, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by then during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so, the resurrected Jesus is walking with his disciples, right? Right? And this is that piece, it's a beautiful piece of scripture where he's reinstating Peter. And he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Right? Uh, and, and then Peter, uh, and then each time Peter says, yes, Lord. And then Jesus says, well, take care of my sheep and feed the lambs. And he asked him three times, right? Okay, now if you go back, remember when Peter denied Christ three times, Right? And, and this is kind of like Jesus coming back to him and said, man, I heard you, you denied me. And back then, Peter, you said that you would die for me and that you would represent me to the end, right? And Peter denied him, okay? So now back to the end of John here. And what Jesus is asking him, and I really have to thank Leningrad for bringing this to my attention earlier this morning, is what Jesus is saying is, Do you love me? And and the word there is the agape love, right? And that's the unconditional love. Like, Peter, do you now unconditionally love me? This is a bit heartbreaking. Peter's response is when he says, yes, Lord, I love you. This is the phileo love, right? Which is the brotherly love. And so he asks him again, Peter, do you unconditionally love me? And Peter comes back and says, yes, Lord, I love you like a brother. And then at the end of that, after the third time asking him, Jesus still loved him anyway. And Jesus gave him the work that was to be done. And this is the instruction he gives us, to follow him, right? To follow him is the instruction he gives Peter, and that's the mission he sends us out with too, to just follow him. Sometimes we don't understand why all this is happening around us. And the disciples didn't understand everything either. And sometimes we're not to make sense of it. I don't know how education's going to go. I'm a teacher. But I know my Father God is good. And I know he's loving. And I know he told me to follow him. And so now I'm going to draw close to the Spirit and be in the Word. And he's going to unfold all things under his authority. And the reason that we're in John just to kind of set the stage here is because we're going to see a similar response of the apostles in the book, like Acts 1, and I think it's really important to kind of like understand their place with God's authority, and we need to understand our own. So the point here now that I want to make is that after Jesus tells Peter to follow him, it's almost sad, Peter's response, and I'm just going to read it to you. Peter's concern at this point was about John. And he says, he says, what are we going to do about this guy following us, right? Will John still be with us for the ascension, right? Will John, the author here, still be with us? And then this is Jesus' answer to that. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that on you, right? He's putting Peter in his place, like, that's not for you to know the times or the seasons. That's my authority. He's like, you must just follow me, right? We're going to see a similar interaction in Acts 1 when uh, the apostles ask Jesus, well, are you going to reinstate Israel now before you ascend? And there's going to be a similar interaction. So I just kind of wanted to set the stage with that. So now in Acts 1, right? Um, in the first verses there, uh, we see that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is instructing the apostles uh, in what to do in his absence. And in the beginning of Acts here, he's really setting up these proofs, right? We talked about how Acts has lots of defenses for Christianity. And he sets up these facts um, about his resurrection and his ascension. And one of the ones we can see is in First uh, Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse six, and Paul describes one of these proofs, and he says, "Jesus, he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to present. They were they were there. Uh, the five hundred were there, and many were seen like twenty five years later in the days of Paul. Uh, these these." Proofs are, are wonderful for us to kind of just have and know, right? Now, Luke reminds us that Jesus didn't teach of all these extra things that um, he knew of, right? I mean, you can imagine what Jesus had gone through. He'd gone to the cross and all the work of absorbing all our sins. But when Jesus has returned with his apostles, what's he teaching on? He's teaching on the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He didn't change the message. He's still committed to the follow me, the salvation, uh, the the importance of prayer and fellowship and obedience and relying on God's will. And that's that's the picture we're going to see the apostles uh, show us. And it's the picture that we want to kind of take away today. Um, That the things pertaining to the kingdom of God is what we need to have our eyes set on. So what's the instruction that uh, Jesus gives his apostles? Uh, Jesus tells uh, his apostles to wait. To wait for the promise of the Father, right, which is the Holy Spirit. Now a little side note there, it's one of those beautiful pictures of the Trinity. right? There's lots of times through scripture you can see it, but this is one of them where you have Jesus um, saying, wait for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. right? So you get that little picture of the Trinity there. So I wanted to kind of just dig a little deeper into this idea of waiting, right? As, we, as they were waiting for the promise of the Father, what were they doing while they were waiting? Because when I first read through some of this, I was like, all right, cool, I can wait. I'll just sit back and just wait till the Lord's ready to move, right? And he's going to be really clear because I'm not moving until I get that message, right? And I almost started to look at it like a passive approach, like I was just going to kind of sit back and chill until the Lord was ready to really tell me he wanted me to move. And then, so I was like, well, I don't know if that seems right. Something's not feeling right with that. So let's take a look at what the apostles were doing um, when they were waiting. And then, as I was looking into it, uh, I came across this scripture in Lamentations 3, and it's the it's the prophet's hope. It's Jeremiah's hope here, and it speaks of this waiting. So i I'd just like to share this with you. It's a great encouragement for our time um, with all the uncertainties going on too. And it says this. I'll just read verses 22 through 26. It says, Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. To the soul who seeks Him it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So I was like, sweet, okay. I want to wait on you, God. So help, help me understand what that looks like, right? So as, we looked at the, as we're going to look at the apostles here, their waiting looks like obedience, right? It looks like in the Word, staying close with Scripture. They're praying, and they're in fellowship. And then I think about all that, I'm like, dang, that's a busy day, right? So I, I, um, Oswald Chambers kind of summed up this idea of waiting that made a lot of sense to me, and I'd like to just share that with you. So he says, there are th- three stages in spiritual life, worship, waiting, and work. Some of us go in jumps like spiritual frogs. We jump from worship to waiting, and from waiting to work. God's idea is that the three should go together, and I like that. I like that. So while I'm waiting, I'm ready to. Like, I'm ready to work, and while I'm working, I'm worshiping, and all of these are all happening, kind of like all at the same time, right? It's not like independent of each other. And I think it's an important reminder for us. Because sometimes I go so fixed on the work, I'm like, yeah, I'm doing his work. But I've kind of like paused on my worshiping and I've definitely paused on the waiting because I'm running full speed ahead, right? So it's real important to kind of just check ourselves and be like, okay, I want to wait on the Lord. But at the same time, I'll be worshiping. Thank you for what are you doing. And then, Lord, I'm just ready to work too, right? And that work's going to walk right through the door and you're going to be prepared, Right? So it's a great reminder for us. And I like the way that Oswald kind of summarized that. Now, we're waiting for the promise of the Father. And this is the the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, At this point, the disciples have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus knows that uh, they're not like super effective for the kingdom of God yet. right? Uh, But what this baptism is going to end up being, and we're going to see it in the next weeks here, is it's gonna be this total immersion of the Holy Spirit, right? And and a good way of thinking about it is uh, like a condition that you live in every day versus just an experience you have once in a while. Or like, you know, I got baptized when I was 12, right? It's not just something that happens once and, okay, my baptism is done, right? This is something like a condition that every morning we wake up, we're baptized and immersed in the Holy Spirit. And just knowing that, right, Knowing that we have that um, that coding is is wonderful. It's a great promise, and that's what that that means there. So uh, Acts verse six uh, through eleven goes on and says this. Therefore, when we had come together, they asked him, saying, "Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel?" And he said to them, "It is not for you to know the times or the seasons." which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And when we looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come down in a like manner as you saw him go up into heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So at the beginning here, this is where... uh, the disciples are asking Jesus about the kingdom of Israel, right? Is that political nation going to be reinstated now that you're about to ascend, right? And we need to know that this isn't the first time this kind of question had been asked, right? There's prophecy in the Old Testament, speaking of the reinstating of Israel. Um, So this question had been asked before, and the disciples were looking for clarity. Uh, Of course, we now know that Jesus left them in charge of the kingdom, right? Um, I I can only imagine their discouragement if he had told them the truth that it would be about 1900 years before Israel was actually like reinstated, right? Um, I'm glad he didn't do that. But what I do love is how Jesus put them in their place, right? And and I kind of cringe for the disciples. I'm like, guys, he just promised you the ultimate power of the Holy Spirit, and he's talking about things eternal, and you're worried about if this political nation is going to be reinstated. Like, come on, guys. He just gave you Paris, and you're looking for the farm, right? Um, so <laughs> Jesus' response to this is, "It's for, it's for me to know that it's of my authority, right? He says, it is not for you to know the times or the season which the Father has put on His own authority. And uh, I can't emphasize this one enough, right, with how much we have going on right now and the uncertainty and the challenges we have right now are the importance of keeping our world small, focusing on the things pertaining to the Kingdom of God and understanding that His authority Has all things under control, right? Like our worship this morning said. And that we've received that power of the Holy Spirit. And the natural result of that power is that we become witnesses. It's not like he invited us just to be witnesses, right? We don't have any choice. Once you see the resurrected Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, his ascension, and how it's moved in our own lives. Let alone the testimony of the disciples, we don't have a choice but to be witnesses to this awesomeness, right? All right. Man, I love that. So we're witnesses today, right? We're witnesses to the ends of the earth, right? Because we're about to look at where he told the disciples to go, and it wasn't a cakewalk. But we're like witnesses, and we're called to, to move the gospel. Maybe you're calling us to the ends of the earth. Maybe it's just our neighbor. But we're still called to be witnesses. So let's look at where Jesus told him to go, right? He said, okay, so the gospel's in Jerusalem. Uh, I'm going to have you move the gospel to Judea and Samaria. Uh, That's uh, happening in, like, if you want to take a closer look at it, in uh, Acts 8 through 14 is the picture of Jerusalem, right? And then... Judea and Samaria happens in uh, Acts chapters 13 through 28. And then to the ends of the earth is, uh, is after that, right? So it's almost like his telling the disciples where they're going to go ends up being this like outline for the book of Acts. Um, so let's take a look. Judea, or we'll start with Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where Jesus was executed, okay? Now that your leader was executed, deliver the gospel. That's tough. Next one, he says, now I want you to go to Judea. This is where his ministry, his earthly ministry, was rejected. And Samaria was regarded as a wasteland of impures and half-breeds. And to the outermost parts of the earth, where the Gentiles were, is referred to in Scripture as nothing better than fuel for the fires of hell. And this is the work that Jesus called his disciples to. Not easy work, but he's equipped them in all the right ways, right? Um, so anyway, I just wanted to... That's cool enough. So uh, verses nine goes on and talks about his ascension. Super amazing. Uh, and what's interesting about that is it says that he'll return in the same way. I know we've been looking at Jesus' return in, in 1 Peter. And I, I just kind of wonder... Uh, if it's going to be like the return to the same place too, right? Are we going to be at like Mount Olivet there? Um, Because it says that he's going to return in the same way. So I imagine it's probably visibly, right? And physically. And I just wonder, like, do I need to go get a ticket to the mountain? Because it's coming tomorrow. All right. Uh, So the two men that were standing there when Jesus ascended, uh, that were dressed in white, they, they say, what are you doing continuing to gaze up to heaven, right? This is not where Jesus uh, had you doing His work. He left you clear instructions uh, to go wait for the promise of the Father. So we see this obedience uh, from the disciples that's about to happen here. Because they're they're more mature now. They're going to be obedient. It's a good reminder for us just to not gaze towards heaven, right? Not just to wait but to be witnesses and push that good news out. Uh, Verses 12-14 through go on and they, they say, When they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, and when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew... Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, bar- bar- um, yep, and Matthew, <laughs> James, the son of uh, Alphatheus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So, this Sabbath day journey refers to a short distance. It's kind of the only kind they were allowed to travel on a Sabbath. And then the scripture um, clearly shares who was there, right? Um, we see that it was the 11 disciples, this is minus Judas, uh, are present. And then we have Mary, and we have the brothers of Jesus, James and Jude, the women who followed Jesus and others, and were. Going to hear that it's adding up to about 120 there. But I think the the interesting uh, two there that I just kind of want to mention is the brothers of Jesus, right? You got James and Jude there, and it clearly says back in Scripture that they weren't always a fan of Jesus, right? Uh, In John chapter 7, verse 5, it says straight up that his family and these brothers did not believe. In Mark chapter 3, verse 21, it says, that the brothers thought that Jesus was out of his mind. This is like his family talking about him, right? But what's happening now is the brothers are there in the upper room with the others, you know, praying, relying on the Lord. And this is a sign of the the work of the resurrected Christ, right? This is the power of that witnessing, that they've seen it, the fellowship of the brotherhood around them has now made them believers, right? His family is now um, believing in who Jesus is. And I think it's a wonderful encouragement for us because there's times that our family thinks that we're out of our minds, but they're not a lost cause. Jesus' brothers even came, yeah? So what are they doing what are these apostles doing while they wait? What are they doing well that we should take away? Um, we see them in obedience, right? They're doing what Jesus commanded them to do. Go wait, right? Wait till you're really effective. He, uh, they're in unity. They're all together. And that we see them in prayer, right? These are, some, these are some great characteristics as believers we can take away from them, right? Now, they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. Um, they had the Word of God. And that's what they relied on. And their obedience was to it. So they had this permanent record of God's word and they relied on it. This unity, they continued with one accord. And this is the work of having God in our hearts, right? We are under one accord. They weren't fighting and bickering anymore. They were there together. They laid their differences aside and they were praying. They all prayed with supplication. And, and what that's saying there, it's it's referring to like a, a praying with a sense of desperation. Like, you went, we saw it, we're witnesses, but man, Lord, we need you. And they're praying with a sense of, of desperation and earnestness, right? So, we see these three steps in making godly decisions. This is good for us as a church body, right? This is good for us as individuals in how um, to be close to the Lord and then make decisions. I think a lot of times we, uh, you know, make them based on our emotions or what the popular vote is or what, you know, the social media is saying. And, and I think we got to kind of be able to separate and know that our reliance on the Lord and doing these Doing these, this process of making godly decisions is so important. And that when we do, there's huge blessing waiting for us. And we're, we're, we're going to see that here in the beginning of Acts. So uh, we'll go ahead. Uh, we're going to go verses 15 through 26. Uh, what's about to happen here is Peter suggests this replacement for Judas, right? Uh, and we're going to see how they did it and why they did it. Okay, it says this. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about a 120, and said, Men and brethren, this Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part of this ministry, Now this man purchased a field with the wages of inequity and and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out and it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. So that field is called in their own language, Akal dama, that is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let this dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all, that, um, all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among, among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two. Joseph of uh, Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Mathis. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who knows the heart of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgressions fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Okay, I know that was a big chunk of scripture there, but let's just break down what's happening, right? Um, Peter stands up and he uh, tells the disciples, we need to make a decision. We need to replace Judas. We're at 11. We're supposed to be at 12. We need to go ahead and fill that vacancy, right? That's what's happening here in this section. What's great about looking at this is we can see how the disciples made decisions, right? And we're going to see how they, how, what they went through to do it. So the first thing that we see is that Peter stood, right? He waited. Now he stood, and he took this natural leadership amongst the first group of apostles. And uh, we s- we've seen Peter uh, during Jesus' like earthly ministry be the spokesman for the disciples. So we've seen him kind of take this leadership role before. But what's different now, like we've been seeing um, in Jack's teaching of First Peter, is Peter is a more mature person now. He's more wise. He's kind of had enough trials and coming through them and been um, alongside Jesus long enough that there's a maturity about him. And we're going to see that here. He says that Scripture was fulfilled by the death of Judas. And there's a lot of controversy over like how Judas died or like what the purpose of it was. But what I love here is Peter's maturity in looking at such an evil deed and saying that there was a purpose behind it and that it needed to happen and it fulfilled the prophecy of the Old Testament. That's a, that's a mature Christian to see things that aren't going well and say God's in charge and it's part of his plan, right? Right? We see a lot of challenges today, right? Political upheaval, pandemic, uncertainty, death, betrayal, social media's out of control, right? I think we got to keep coming back to who's in charge and know that that God's got it under control, right? And that that our focus should be there first. And all that other stuff is just going to be left behind. Uh, A little side note about this field of blood. Pretty gruesome detail here. I'm glad the children have been dismissed to Sunday school. Uh, But we know that it's referred to in the gospel that Judas hung himself, um, but that wasn't the end of the story. Uh, Here it clearly tells us that the rope didn't hold and that he plummeted to the ground where um, he spilled his blood, and that was one of the reasons that field was called uh, the field of blood. And it's interesting that they say that all of Jerusalem knew this, right? Um, And it wasn't the only reason, right? Because he purchased that field with the money that he had received for betraying Christ, too, right? Now, Peter is quoting Scripture. Peter's taking two verses from the book of Psalms, And this is how he's, like, after they're praying, this is what's been laid on his heart to do. And he quotes these two pieces of Scripture from Psalms um, saying why we need to uh, fill the vacancy, right? And in this section of Psalms, this is the author, King David. And King David wasn't any stranger to betrayal, right? This guy was on the run from Saul uh, within his own people, he was uh, betrayed by somebody named uh, Dog, D-O-E-G, and, uh, and so this, he knew betrayal, right? So he's speaking from understanding what that is, and Peter's using that to say, hey, God does not want this um, to stay empty. Uh, I think it speaks to Peter's maturity, too, because this is the first time in Scripture that Peter is using the word to speak, Right? And it's kind of an interesting note there. It's the first time in the New Testament that Peter is using Scripture. The disciples were relying on God's will. That's what they wanted to see uh, take place. And it's good for us to know uh, that we want to rely on God's will too. Uh, The next piece there, he's stating the qualifications for what this new apostleship like need like what they have need to do to be considered for this new position, right, and two people rise um and the the two qualifications they say is he must have been a witness with us to the uh crucifixion, and he must also like have been here for the uh ministry and witnessed the ascension of christ uh You might question like well. Why are those the qualifications, right? Who says those are the important pieces to be one of the twelve? And what we rely on there is there's this almost like sacred common sense. There's enough that these apostles are doing right in fellowship and prayer, seeking God's Word and relying on His will, that this is just sacred common sense, that these would be the qualifications for the, the next apostle. In verses 24 through 26 here, uh, they prayed. And the reason I say this is because their next move seems a little unusual, right? Because now they're about to make the decision on how to choose this apostle. And, and what they do is they pick up their bones and they get their dice in their hand and they're like, all right, and it's going to be Matthew, Right? and they roll their dice. And you might question, like, oh, is that the most godly way to be, like, choosing people? But it's okay, right? It's okay, because they didn't just, like, come up with this out of nowhere, right? They knew uh, that it had been spoken of in Proverbs and uh, that God was in control of all things, that they were really seeking the Lord through prayer and that they were, they were relying that these lots would um, determine who God wanted in, their, in that position. So, in Proverbs 16.33, uh, it says, uh, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Right? So these apostles weren't just making it up. They weren't winging it. They knew what they were doing. It was God's discerning will. And you yeah, think about it. It's kind of better than some of the way that Christians make decisions these days. You know, relying on... Um, unique circumstances or their own emotions or their own desires for where they personally think the church should go or their body. Uh, And what these disciples were doing is they had this foundation in the Word. They were using the Word. They were being obedient to what Jesus told them to do. They were praying with supplication. And they were waiting, relying that God's will would be done. Yeah, right. Let's let's not get bent about it. God's gonna take care of all of that, right? Hallelujah. I think we really should look at this early church, and this is kind of setting up uh, next week for Robert, who's going to talk about the vital church in ordinary times. Uh, So it's coming. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that. But I I really, like, I'm excited that we're a church that models after the early church. I. is a great example. Like every time Jack finishes teaching, what does he say? And now let's everybody stick around and fellowship, right? Like I think Jack understands this. Uh, Sissy, what what is she doing for our church all the time? She's always pushing the prayer out there, right? Like hey, let's be a church that prays together. Uh, so I'm really encouraged by that. Um, but it's important for us to remember this example. Uh, and then further than that, like not just the church that models after these early apostles, but Also, let's be people that do, right? When making godly decisions about, like, should I say that? Should I do that? Like, have we followed these steps that the apostles set up for us of fellowship, consulting other brothers and sisters, praying about it, relying on the Word and the guidance of the Holy Spirit? Because if you have, do it. You're probably in God's will, if you haven't, take a second, right, and and learn from our our brothers of old. Let's be a people of fellowship, prayer, relying on the Word, and seeking God's will. Amen, amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, thank you for the opportunity to um, share with our church family today. Lord, I just pray you over everyone here uh, and all our families um, throughout. Lord, that you, would, uh, that you would just be with us and draw us near and uh, just help us to be in fellowship and prayer. And Lord, we just love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.